Welcome to the In Contention Podcast. I'm Joey Pasco, one of your hosts, alongside Matt Cranstuber. How's it going? And, of course, the Newsinning's own Ruben Bressler. Hello, everyone. How's it going? Good, good, good. How you is guys this BBD doing? or Ruben? This, is, this one's actually Ruben. It's not BBD wearing <laughs> okay. my skin. Okay, on that note. I'm glad, I'm glad you guys liked the, uh, the sketch with, with BBD. We had a good time doing it. Yeah, that was that was pretty awesome. Yeah, definitely. Uh, of course, as always, check out Ruben on the newsening. Uh, it was it was pretty clutch editing by uh, by Shoebox, also Daniel Schoenbach. Big shout out to him. He did a, a good job making that all hang together and make sense. So, uh, how, how was your weekend, guys? Good, good stuff. Yeah, yeah what we, did I, I even went, do? I went to Athens. I visited some uh, some old friends in Athens, Ohio. Um, randomly, a bunch of people were in town from. You know, that had also graduated, so it was like two years ago. Um, yeah, and it was a good time. I've been meaning to get back there. I, I, I went back one time. It's actually kind of funny. We went to the to the beach, um, and Athens is like right on the way because you, you take the connection to 77 down in Coolville. So you pass right through there. And I, uh, I graduated from there like seven or eight years ago. Mm-hmm. And uh, I stopped by the library. We we stopped in the town. We ate lunch there, and I stopped by the library, and they were doing construction on the library um, of their, my very last quarter there. And right in front of there, they had this cement thing, and I carved me and my wife's initials into it, just as a joke. I figured they'd come by nice. and it would just fall off. It was it was still there, and it's like right in front cool. of the library. So that's kind of. <laughs> Anyway, um, so my vandalism story aside, I, this weekend I went and had Thanksgiving <laughs> for a third time oh my <laughs> man um i'm seriously if i never have to eat turkey again it'll be too soon i'm now, i'm so done with that meal let me ask you a question when my family does thanksgiving we have quote unquote dinner at like two in the afternoon yes how does that work with you oh it, well, okay you so eat dinner at six every night <laughs> Dinner's well at six. no like I just, I, I still ate, like, my normal lunch at 11. Then I had the, like, full turkey dinner at 2. And then I had the same meal again at, like, 6. Okay. And then again the next day before we left. And uh, I, 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 I honestly, if I, if I had to guess, I think I've had that meal nine times in the oh, last two weeks. Yeah, I'm, I'm still done with it. Anyway, magic, magic content. Yeah. As, as good quitting, as wait, thing- wait, 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 wait. You're quitting cold turkey? Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah! I told my mom, I'm like, do not get turkey for Christmas. <laughs> get ham, and uh, in fact, if you just want to make like Johnny Marzetti or pizza or something, I would be totally fine with that. Right, right. on. Well, I was uh, I was in Baltimore this weekend, but I'm normally in Baltimore. It just so happens that the Open Series was in Baltimore, so I got to watch. I got to watch the Havoc Festival that is standard. Uh, <laughs> In the, I mean, we had like four, half of the top eight was was Rakdos. Uh, but we'll get into that. We'll get into that. Yeah. Right um, as, as you guys know, as always, in contention is the official podcast of the StarCityGames.com Open Series, and this coming weekend, the Open Series comes to Las Vegas. Vegas, baby! With ten thousand dollar prize pools in both the Standard and Legacy Opens, and if you can't be there. You can be sure to tune into scglive.com and catch Michael J. Flores and Patrick Sullivan with Ruben Bressler in the sideboard, bringing you guys all the action. The Twitter hashtag for the weekend is SCGVegas, so you can use that to join in the discussion. And if you can't make it out, be sure to check out an invitational qualifier tournament near you. You can go to the StarCityGames.com Open Series page for a complete listing at StarCityGames.com slash SCGOP. And that's also where you can find all the... Uh, all the event coverage archives as well. Right. That is you the so one can- You guys don't get to go to Las Vegas this weekend. Man, <laughs> so unlucky for you. I've never been to Las Vegas, so this is going to be fun. Nice. Wow. Yeah, that's, that's the, how many days are you going to be there, Ruby? I'm going to be there the whole week. I'm, gonna, I'm getting in on Friday, leaving the next Thursday. Uh, and then the week after that, obviously, is uh, the Invitational in Los Angeles. So this is, the, uh, this is a big, long 10-day trip for me. Uh, with wow! A vacation in the middle. I've been told. Um, just so you know, Ruby, I've been told that uh, if you go to Vegas, that any like up to three days, 
you have like a total blast. And the the day after the third day, it's uh, apparently very difficult to uh, to take all that in after the third day. <laughs> that it's just like so stimulating. You have so much going on right, that right. you just get really exhausted. But anyway, people, people live in Las Vegas, like. Do they just get tired of it three days into life? Is that what's happening? <laughs> That's how it works. <laughs> but, no, uh, I just yeah. mean like if you're going to sightsee, you're you're going to be working part of the time. Right. So yeah. I think it'll be it'll be different for you. But anyway, we've we've talked enough about non magical topics. We got good magic stuff to talk about today. So I'm going to go through our hashtags here. Of course, this past weekend was SCG Baltimore, so we're going to go through some of the deck lists, one of the biggest SCG events ever, and yeah. uh, very cool. Then we're going to talk a little bit about the TCG Player Championship. Uh, of course, a lot of players pl- battled it out in Indy, and we're going to talk about some of the deck lists there. Then we have a couple side topics somewhat related to these. Uh, one is going to be we're going to talk about standard tech, some cards that we think are underplayed or undervalued in the standard environment. Maybe talk a little bit about the standard landscape and kind of some of the decks we're going to be brewing and playing over the next few weeks. And uh, then we're gonna, we want to get into a, another little side topic, Trigger Troubles, which is uh, something that's been you know talked about on and off for the last couple months, but... For some reason, this week, uh, a couple couple people have, uh, including Owen Turnwald, decided to write about this, and uh, we're going to talk about what he said, uh, what he talked about in his article, and then we're going to get a very small topic. Uh, we're going to go over our holiday schedule, talk about maybe some of the things we have coming up over the next few weeks, including a show that is a little unlike some of our other episodes we've recorded before. But uh, Joey, you're the man on the scene in Baltimore, so why don't you kick us off with SG Balt? Yeah, so uh, so yeah, I was I was there all day Saturday and got to watch Standard kind of continue to evolve. And the the Rakdos deck or the Black Red Zombies or Big Zombies, however you want to call it, uh, I, I think Zombies is not the right name for it, but that's kind of what seems to be sticking. Uh, zombies backed up by Falcon Wrath Aristocrat and Thundermall Hellkite and Hellrider <clears throat> seem to be really uh, seem to be really popular in Baltimore. We saw it on a lot of camera matches, and it made up half of the top eight. Uh, as far as the top 16, there were, like, I think nine at the top 16. I don't know. There, You look at the results page, and you start scrolling, and it's just Black Red Zombies, Black Red Zombies, Black it, Red it's Zombies. It's fun. Yeah. All the way down. Um, and so it, it's obviously a very popular deck, and it seems to be winning as well. Although, once we got to the top four, only one. So so there were four in the top eight, Once and three of those four were eliminated in the quarterfinals. So uh, I don't know if that means, you know, people, obviously people are, are brewing to beat it now that they're aware of it. It won the last two standard Grand Prix uh, over the past couple of weeks. And uh, so people are more aware of it. People are adjusting their decks to beat it. Um, one of the, the decks that I was impressed with, um, and it's nothing crazy, but it was, it was blue, white flash splashing red for pillar. I mean, kind of going back to the week one, we need pillar of flame kind of idea. And uh, right. and, and while that deck didn't, uh, that that particular variant of the deck didn't make top eight. It was uh, it was kind of, I thought it was an impressive kind of way to take the deck, impressive or a, a kind of a good direction to take the deck if you're expecting a ton of black red zombies. Absolutely, um, pillar of flame is going to be. Uh, very much linked to the popularity of zombies in the metagame. And, you know, this isn't going to be zombies on top forever. You know, people are going to adapt, and then and it'll fall away, and then people will take the pillars out of their decks and move them to the sideboards, and they'll be like, well, zombies isn't even here anymore, so we won't even have them in the sideboards. And then people will come back with zombies. It just This is the cycle that we're going to be in. It's a very healthy metagame in that way, in that the main villain of the format... Um, I think, is going to be zombies, but it's going to come and go, as opposed to, you know, past villains that have, you know, uh, sort of had ways to deal with, but then always was able to figure out a way to avoid any particular hate that came their way, be it Blue-Eyed Delver or Callblade or Jund. They were always able to stay on top, regardless of how people had adapted to it, whereas zombies is having a much more difficult time. Definitely. Yeah, the zombies deck is much better positioned, I think, in this uh, in this environment. If you look at the list, you know, previously it was like pretty much mono black. If you splash red, you were splashing it for something like brimstone volley or searing spear. And uh, in this case, you know, 
since we're playing a lot of mid-range magic, what they've what they've done is added cards that just really punish you if you don't seal the game up very quickly. Um, you know, so so at the four and five drop slot, it really helps you close the game out. So you have Hellrider at the four slot, as well as Falconrath Aristocrat, and then you have uh, Thundermaw Hellkite to sort of round that out, coupled with Cavern of Souls and uh, and some of the really good cards in the sideboard. This is going to give. Pretty much, I, I don't imagine that blue white is ever going to beat this deck. Um, I mean, you just there's only so many Azorius charms and counterspells and things that you can throw. And then, God forbid, your opponent just resolve a cavern of souls. So, I really like this deck a lot. If you uh, know, in a, a blue white meta, as as you start seeing decks more like Jerry's list, where you know you are playing the American the American mid range decks, you know they're going to be a little bit better against this deck. But again, cards like Falconrath, Aristocrat, Hellrider. And Thundermaw Hellkite are still very, very difficult to deal with. Um, and, uh, you know, if if you haven't sealed the game up, like I said, by the third or fourth turn, those will, those will end it. So so yeah. when you say blue-white, do you mean blue-white flash, or are you talking yeah, uh, in general? Flash, the, uh, the Adam Prozac. Yeah. Yeah, because, uh, I mean... Because blue-white control has, is, is like, and band control, all the various types of blue-white control have, you know, Farseek, and they have lots more ways to defend rather than tempo, and, you know, they're playing their 12th land on turn 12, and still able to play Sphinx's Revelations and things like that, so, yeah, I don't think that they have as big of a problem. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, they've still got some of a problem. Yeah, yeah just, cards like Talkerath, Vistaprat, and Geralt's Messenger, and even Thundermaw Hellkite, I think pose a little bit of a problem, um, and I think you're going to see, you know, if you see, look at, like, Chapin's Bant List... And uh, some of the other band lists that have been floating around, detention spheres like been going like the numbers have been going down because you've been seeing less Jaces and Tamias floating around. Um, even Chapin's list only has three planeswalkers in it, so I think you're going to see detention spheres start to go up in value a little bit. Um, I certainly would want to have a detention sphere if I'm playing against something like this to be able to take out messengers and aristocrats. But um, yeah, I think you know the band the band control decks are are very good. In fact. I did want to comment. Um, I've been trying to play a couple of Chapin's band decks, and I think they're they're really really bad in this environment. Um, I, I haven't been winning a lot with them. I was winning a lot with Jund, but uh, I just didn't feel like the the slower decks really had enough game against the other mid range decks. You know, like the uh, couple decks that we're going to talk about, namely um, some of the Reanimator decks. It, they just I, I don't feel like they don't have. They don't have the tools in the sideboard, first of all, like because they can't really run rest in peace to, to good value because you have to run things like think twice and um, and uh, and you want to be able to recycle your your deck with elixir immortality and, and chaining sphinx's revelation. So um, I, I just I, that's the one deck that I you know you don't see a lot in this top eight. You don't see it a lot in the top sixteen, and you didn't really see it a lot in the uh, TCG player event either. So I think that deck's kind of getting pushed out of the format a little bit. Yeah, that's a good good point. Um, uh, but I, I I wonder, do you feel like? Uh, well, I guess for me, I think that deck looks is that it, that's like actually exactly where I'm headed with my kind of version of blue white control. I've decided to cut black and go green and go with something very similar to what Chapin's been writing about and uh, Sam Black and a lot of those other guys. Um, we did see Michael Caffrey on camera in I think it was the final round of Swiss or or close to that on Saturday and um it wasn't a it wasn't a match uh between Rakdos and and Bant it was uh I think it was more of another kind of controlly matchup but I I feel like that deck fits my playstyle very well where I I know all I need to do is not lose and then, you know, drown them out. I love the addition of Drown Yard and using Drown Yard as the main win condition. I, I don't know that that works so well against Rakdos, though. <laughs> uh, but yeah, yeah, it, it, kind of the, the, the point that I was getting at was I've actually heard both sides from, from players who are piloting the Rakdos deck and players that are piloting the Bant deck, both of them are complaining that the other deck is too strong. Like, I, I, a friend of mine... You know, a couple of friends of mine brought the the Rakdos deck and or Black Red Zombies, and they're like, "Oh, Bant Control! It's just so annoying to play against. So hard, I can't beat that deck." And then Bant Control's going, "I wish we had Celestial Purge. Why can't we have yep. this?" You know, and so that to me is actually great to hear because yeah, it exactly. sounds like it's a great matchup where it could go either way. Yeah, yeah, I completely agree. Um, you know, everybody when everybody's upset that something else is too powerful, when everyone 
is upset that something different is too powerful. You got a nice metagame. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. I, I did just just for the actual numbers here, uh, because it's actually kind of gross when you do look beyond 8th place and you see that the 11th through 16th decks are all black-red zombies. Wow. So it was, it was uh, what is that, 6? So there were 10 black-red zombies decks in the top 8. I mean, top 16. Now, I, I, will, I will point out that the, the uh, that, that may, might have been Baltimore, but I think that's an outlier because I'm looking at the TCG player championship uh, top 16 here, and I'm seeing... I don't know, two, maybe three. It looks like three Rakdos aggros. Um, and and it, it did not dominate this tournament uh, nearly as much as you might have thought that it would be hearing the results from Baltimore. The other surprising thing about this tournament is that the top three decks, uh, Ryan Hip, David Bauer, and Jerry Thompson, all played American Midrange, as it's, as it's uh, noted here, the blue-white, splash-red midrange deck. Um, so, you know, it's, it's entirely possible that, uh, that, that it's a regional thing. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I would imagine that the quality of players at this tournament was probably higher than Baltimore. Um, but I could be wrong. The other thing about this deck is that it gives players a lot more game that the, that, that, um, that the blue-white Delver-style players like. You know, they see a lot of cards with, uh, with is it charm and Azorius charm, uh, you know, various, you know, little cantrip kind of stuff, like think twice. They get to see a lot more cards, and so they can have more one-ofs in their deck. Uh, and that's the type of thing that, that, that those type of players tend to appreciate. Whereas I'm more of a, uh, a zombies player, I just like to smash face. So... Yeah, I, I was going to comment, Joey. You mentioned that you you kind of want to be playing blue white control in some capacity. Yeah. Um, I just want to comment that I I think that the like Jerry T's list from the TCG player event is probably a little bit better than something like Chapin's build. Um, and and I think it's mostly just because you can't beat other like like Chapin's deck. I think in the mirror, like if you have to play against other control decks, it's much less it's much less good. Um, whereas, like a deck like Alien Trazi, he's just saying, "Forget it. I'm not going to play any counter magic between the main deck and sideboard, and it's just going to be this big, you know, I won't say clunky, but it, it, it's a it's a five color good stuff dot deck backed up by cards like Sphinx's Revelation, Chromatic Lantern, Farseek, you know, to be able to to hit your land drops, Thrag Tusk to gain life, and then a lot of one ofs. You know, you have Detention Sphere, Decay, Ultimate Price, a bunch of Lingering Souls, some Rakdos Returns." So you have a you be able to attack it in a bunch of different angles, and, and so if I was playing, and what what I've been doing is uh, I had Saito's bant list, and then I went into Chapin's bant list. I've been taking the control magic totally out because those cards just don't do enough. So mm-hmm. I and I see and Trazi doing that here. I added more ramp too because I felt like when I resolved Sphinx's Revelation, I was winning games. Regardless, yeah. like you, you didn't have to have counter magic; you just had to have other things to do, and. Um, so I, I like this list. This list is really solid. This is um, the uh, third place list from Baltimore, and uh, so if you're looking for a good control deck, or I won't say control deck, but a good deck to play, this one is definitely uh, one to be looking at. Yeah, uh, Ali showed up with uh, what is noted as five color control. That's what we kept calling it. But he, I found out late in the day that he didn't even consider it a control deck. It was more like a five color ramp deck, and he's you know playing yeah. Gristle Brand. Alongside, you know, Huntmaster and Thrag Tusk and Gisela Blade right. of Gold Knights, like uh, just Nico Bolas, just basically everything. He may as well be playing Cryptic Command and uh, and Cloud Thresher <laughs> too, because right, right, right. why not? Uh, <laughs> nice. Uh, yeah, so it's a really fun deck to watch, and it looks like a lot of fun to play. Uh, another deck. I mean, I just I think we should mention it because. And, and I think it's funny because even in this conversation about this very event, it's gone unmentioned, is Naya Midrange won the event. And nobody is no, nobody really is talking about Naya Midrange. Like, over the past few weeks, like, it's a deck, but it's not one of right. the ones you see people really writing about, talking about a, a ton. Um, Patrick Shiflett takes it to first place, so. That's right. Uh, yeah, I think people fall in love with the lands that are available um, and are like, well, we can't play Naya for another two months because we don't have stomping ground yet. 
rats. Guess we have to wait. Yeah, you know, there's a lot of that. There's a lot of that, and it's you know kind of dumb because you the man is good enough just by itself now with other you know pieces. He's got all ten of the Buddy Lands and Cavern of Souls, so it's completely reasonable to you know just play Cavern on Human in a Naya you know mid range deck. Just play your Thalias and Huntmasters on time, and uh, yeah, I mean it's it's a completely reasonable strategy. I'm I'm sure we're going to see more Naya and Esper. Uh, you know, of those types of decks once the next, uh, once Gate Crash is, is upon us. But, um, yeah, I think that people get sort of locked into thinking, well, crap, we don't have Godless Shrine. Guess we can't play this deck. Man, can you imagine, I mean, how much more white-black do you think we'll see when we do have Godless Shrine? Like, Esper, oh, I feel see. like... Right, Esper's already a deck. It came in ninth in, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. in Baltimore. Matt. We're going to see oh, a I, I wanna... ridiculous amount of Esper. Yeah, for sure. I just want to point out the nine midrange deck is very, very similar to the deck that Conley did well with at GP Charlotte. Uh, he, he played his value rights deck, or was it yeah. GP San Jose? Oh, whatever. An- Antonio San Antonio San Antonio. Yeah, don't even ask me about. It. I'll just say a GP. Um, he, and uh, the, the only real difference here is is cards like Slesnia Charm and the Thundermine Hellkites. Otherwise, he was playing the Unburial Rights and then a whole slew of, uh, we'll call them bad lands, because they are really bad if you don't uh, if you don't draw the lands you need. But Kessig Wolfrun is the card that stands out to me as being one that I never like to see on the other side of the table because it turns everything into a threat. It's basically a fireball on a land, and uh, even with just a very small board presence like a Pilgrim and uh, a Restoration Angel you can pretty quickly take the game. And uh, that's one that I fully expect to, to see a lot. And we, I think we talked about that a couple shows ago, but it's, I mean, now like it's, it's a reality. Now every other opponent on Magic Online, if they're playing Jund or if they're playing Niagara or, or whatever, there are some number of Kessel friends. Even some of the like band decks are splashing it off of the steam vents just to be able to, you know, let make the Thragtus take over the game, or, or be able to attack through to through Angel of Serenities and those kinds of things. So, um, yeah, uh, here's a question for you guys: Do you think because this is this topic has been coming up occasionally, and it came up this morning on Twitter? Do you feel like there is too much life gain in Standard? No. Like, mm-hmm. is is sta- is there anything wrong with Standard? I don't think so. I like Standard a lot right now. I think that. Um, People complaining about life gain being too good is, uh, first of all, it's a welcome change from when <laughs> life gain was never good enough. Right. Um, you know, and I guess, you know, like, Blue Sun Zenith is, is a good card, but you just staple Stream of Life onto it, and it's insane. Right? <laughs> yeah. Dragtusk does a whole bunch of fair things. Like, it's a five power, five mana creature. Uh, it's green. It's it's you know. Uh, it makes another thing when it dies. It gains you some life. Those are all fair things. It just so happens that when you put them all on the same card in those numbers in that order, it's just insanely good. Which is it, one thing I noticed. And not not that the life gain isn't really relevant or important, um, but I noticed that it only matters when it matters. Like, yeah. I, I don't feel like I'm playing, like if I'm playing the Bant Mirror, like I'm not winning because I'm at 30 or 50 life. Like that never matters. Yeah, yeah, You win when you take over the game. So, you know, we'll say 50% of the time, your life total is completely irrelevant. Like you're either going to ultimate a Planeswalker, you're going to Rakdos return your opponent's hand when you've got like five in your grip, you're going to cast a giant Sphinx's Revelation when your opponent doesn't need counter magic. Like it's going to be these very swingy moments. It's never going to be because... You know, your opponent nailed an early centaur healer and just attacked you to death. But, like, thank God you had your, your uh, Thrag Tusk to gain you five life. This just doesn't happen. The only time that it really comes up, um, I think, is in, in the red and red-black decks. Those decks yes. would take over this format if you didn't have something like Thrag Tusk, centaur healer, uh, you know, some of the early spot removal like Pillar of Flame. I, I think if you take those out of the format, cards like Giroff's Messenger get very, very frightening fast because they're, very, you know, it's, that guy basically does the thing and is unblockable. I mean, blocking that guy is a really poor 
decision. Uh, you're always just going to be losing a life. And um, like I said, I think it's only relevant when it's relevant. And I, you know, how many, you know how many times I've lost against the red deck, you know, after playing a turn three centaur healer into wrath into thrag tusk. Yep. I mean, a lot. I mean, I'm not even exaggerating well, the, here. The aggro decks had to, had to evolve. Like, Okay, sure. Centaur Healer's really, really good against Rakdos, Cackler, and Bump in the Night. Like, that was the week one deck, and then everyone was like, oh, we need something before Thragtusk. Here's Loxodon Hierarch 2.0. And then the deck was like, well, crap. I guess we can't ever beat that because our deck is full of tutus for one. Mm-hmm. But then, someone smart figured out, what if I just play Enormous Dragons? You know what I mean? And just nothing but haste creatures, like Hellrider, Falconroth, Aristocrat, Thundermaw, Hellkite, Geralt's Messenger basically has haste. Like, what if I just do that? Big heavy hitters. And uh, that three life just becomes somewhat irrelevant. Yeah, I think, Cranny, you kind of nailed it when you said it's only relevant when it's relevant. But when you think about it, you're like, okay, in a matchup between a deck like Bant Control that can gain a ton of life uh, versus an aggro deck, well, if the aggro deck can win before the Bant deck gains too much life, well then, you know, it's it, it can do that. You can overcome that amount of life, time, life gain. I think the, the big complaint about all these life gain decks is that the games go very long. Well, they don't go very long if the, the aggro deck can win before the life gain takes hold, and if if the life gain starts to become too much for that deck to, to overcome, then the aggro deck can always just scoop. You know, if you think you can't do it, then you don't need to keep going, uh, or you can just keep keep trying, but you know that's that's one of the situations where the game goes long because the aggro deck player thinks they can deal 80 damage. Uh, so, and then on the other side, you look at the control decks that both of them are gaining tons of life, and the games are going long. But life gain has very little to do with it because they're not fighting on that axis. They're trying to drown each other out. Yeah. Like they're they're like taking control of the game with either ultimating planeswalkers or just drown yard things like that. So. Yeah, and I think, you know, this is just a part of our environment. This is what this is what we have to play through as we're designing decks. If you're going to build a deck that can't beat, you know, your opponent gaining 8 to 10 life in a game, like if you can't deal the 30 damage by turn 5 or turn 6, then that's something that you're going to have to work on your deck because there's a lot of decks playing Sphinx's Revelation. Even something like the life gain mode off of an Azorius Charm, you know, your opponent can gain a lot of life and when you least expect it off of a, uh, a rune-chainered piked angel. I mean, I've seen that done, and uh, and so, so I don't think that there's necessarily a problem with it. We could just as very easily be talking about a format that doesn't have cavern of souls, and, you know, dissipate and syncopate and essence scatter are, you know, all over the place, and it's impossible to fight them and whatever. Or you could just as easily be talking about a format that has thought, seize, and inquisition of Kozlik in it. You know, I, it, there there are acceptable levels i think of this effect i think when the when it first happened it was very shocking because we hadn't really experienced it before we hadn't really experienced life gain being good on that level i mean if you if you look back to to previous standard formats where life gain was a thing i think the last time i remember you know playing a car that really made a difference with life gain would be cards like face fetters or loxodon hierarch you know and and having life gain be relevant to not just not die to the to the gruel decks and I think as Planeswalkers became active, life gain just didn't really matter as much anymore. It was about controlling the board. It was about playing a, a little bit different game of Magic. Yeah. So I think now now that life, now that we're just gaining it on such a level that it's like, wow, you're getting five life off that guy, I think it's just more noticeable. But I don't yeah, think they that... Just, they, just made, they just made life gain as good as everything else. Like, that's yeah, all they did. Yeah, yeah. 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 And we we'll even look back to, like, Zendikar... You know, we had decks like the the Turbo Land deck and whatever that that played cards that uh, you know two two mana gain eight life or whatever. Yeah, you know, rest for the weary. Yeah, rest for the weary and the and the Sun Stare Expedition or whatever. Right. I mean, life life has always been a you know a resource that I think we really valued it. Like if you look at early Magic going back, you know, ten fifteen years. I think we really valued life way more than we should have. You know, we had cards that, like, you know, if you took a point of mana burn, you just felt like you were just going to lose the game. You know, you didn't want to do anything that cost life to a point where, like, Necropotence, people looked at it like, I'm not trading a card for life. That's awful, you know, until people actually, you know, played with it. And I think that's through the years, like, life as a resource is, like, almost a joke. 
you know, Phyrexian mana come, comes around, and you're like, I'll f- fine, I'll I'll spend one mana and four life to kill your bird of paradise in turn one. Fine, I'll 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 make it up somewhere else. Yeah, it, life life just is it just is not a resource. Just be glad that you know we don't have something like Phyrexian mana in this format right now, because um, you know, given given how much life gain there is, I'm actually surprised that we didn't see more of it when uh, Thrag Tusk was in. Yeah, but, notice that it's that life gain is only good when it's stapled on the back of something else. You look at Healing Salve stapled to Lightning Bolt, and you have Lightning Helix. But, you know, nobody's playing Heroes Reunion. Yeah. Sure. And it's two mana, instant target player gains seven life. If it's, if, you know, life gain isn't isn't so good by itself, but when it's stapled... Right, it has, to be, it has to be stapled to a gnarled mass. Right? Yeah. Exactly. So, uh, I guess, since we're talking about these odd cards in Standard that either... That's- that aren't played. Uh, let's talk about some co- cards that aren't played that maybe should be seeing play. Maybe we want to. Maybe we go a little deep here. But uh, I guess I'll just since we're on the topic of life gain, and since it came up this morning, and I kind of tweeted it as a joke, but I've been thinking about it since then. It was a couple hours ago. Um, you know, uh, Mr. Scotty Mack of the A Team tweeted about. Here's how to fix standard and modern in one one hit. We'll reprint Price of Progress. And I said, well, there's nothing wrong with standard. And he said, well, too much life gain. And I said, well, here's a link to Havoc Festival. (laughs) (laughs) So Havoc Festival, obviously, like I dismissed it as soon as I saw it. And I still have it right in front of me right now. And and I have this urge to dismiss it. But it's it's a six-mana enchantment. Players can't gain life, and then at the beginning of each player's upkeep, that player loses half his or her life rounded up. Uh, six mana isn't that hard to get to. I don't know if this goes into a Rakdos deck, like, I, uh, you know, these these black-red zombies decks, but maybe. I, I, may, I'm, I may be going way too deep here, but keeping your opponent from, you know, they might land one Thrag Tusk or, like, a, a, a Centaur Healer, or nowadays it's Rock's Faith Mender that seems to be taking that slot uh, or... or starting to show up uh, alongside centaur healers and thrag tusks but they might be able to to gain a little bit of life but once you get to turn six if you can resolve a havoc festival sphinx's revelation is just blue sun zenith thrag tusk is just a five three that leaves you know a beast still still a tough card but all this life gain is is not happening and then at the same time the player losing half their life uh you know, that's a huge chunk, and hopefully your deck, if you're playing black-red, if you're playing this aggressive strategy, then you should either be winning the race or be able to deal more damage in a quicker amount of time before the Havoc Festival kills you. So, I, I don't know, just an idea. It's an interesting thought. I think that six mana is a I, I think it's an... It- oh, uh, Go ahead, Ruben. Yeah. Sorry, I was good. I was just saying, six mana is just a, a hundred million mana for that deck. Although <laughs> I remember Thundermall Hellkite. Yeah, I understand. And, and look, I, I remember playing um, Kithkin uh-huh. with twenty-five. Sometimes I played twenty-six lands in my Kithkin aggro deck, right? And that's what these new decks remind these new uh, zombies decks remind me of is their aggro, but they're playing a hundred million lands just so that they can play their two, three, four, fives on time, mm-hmm. right? Because you want to play your Thunderball Hellkite on turn 5, because that's when it's most effective. So, you know, it's not completely unreasonable to be uh, to be playing that guy, but, man, it, the, the odds of hitting your 6th land drop on turn 6 to be able to land Havoc Festival in a 25 land deck still are not very good. Well, maybe you just go bigger, because if this is big zombies, maybe you could just go bigger, and you just cut the cut the one drops, you know, cut the grave crawlers or things, and actually maybe just have it a maybe a big black red deck. I, I don't know. It's probably more likely that this would get played in like Jund, where you yeah, can yeah. power it out on turn four or turn five. Um, but I got two two points for this card. One, I think Ruben's right. It's probably it probably costs maybe a little bit too much. Um, the only thing that I think it has going for it that. Um, you know that I think really it, it sells sells me more on it is that just like sulfuric vortex, um, it's like the opposite of howling mine. Like when you play howling mine, it, it always felt bad as like a way to gain card advantage because your opponent always got to get the card first. And so that's like you know unless you're playing it in an owl deck or a turbo land deck, you don't use uh, the howling mine to gain card advantage. It just doesn't work out. Right. And um, so I like that, but but what I think. It, what I think this card should do, rather than even be a card that we would run, 
just let it be an example of like something, some sort of an effect that you want. And I think we're kind of seeing this today in that people are playing cards like Thundermaw Hellkite. And I think this card does a lot of what Thundermaw Hellkite does and that um, it, it provides a very big effect. Um, it offsets, a, uh, you know, if your opponent gains three to five life very quickly and, um, you know, it provides a clock. And I think Thundermaw Hellkite does it and I think it maybe does it a little more efficiently, but, um, I wouldn't. I wouldn't write it, this card off too soon, given that uh, you know we have we have an entire two blocks worth of cards to go through, and you never know that you know you might see an Academy Rector type card, you might see an Enchantment Matter type deck, um, you may even see a way to be able to make this like non symmetrical. Uh, so I, I I don't know that it's appropriate for this standard, but it could be eventually. But um, yeah. yeah, if I I'm gonna. Learning anything from the fact that Crater Hoof Behemoth is seeing play, so you can't write off any card, you know? <laughs> no, certainly That's not. Right. Certainly not. Um, so I'm gonna I'm gonna take it a step further. I'm gonna take a card that was really really good in last season and saw a lot of main deck play, and uh, we're just starting to see play now. And that card is Curse of Death Death's Hold. Mm-hmm. And the reason that I really like this card, I've been playing a lot of Jund. I've been playing a lot of uh, Frights. And one of the, my favorite cards out of the sideboard is Golgari Charm. I've been, I've been boarding that card in to the point where I, I'm actually playing one main deck now because it's so good. And um, so I've been boarding up to three of them. And one of the most popular modes is as I'm playing against these, these weenie decks, I board it in to get the minus one, minus one, more than anything else, more than the enchantment or more than the, uh, the regenerate. And um, Curse of Death's Hold is really good against these zombie decks. You know, it, it doesn't really do much against like Thunder Maw or even things like Dross Messenger, but it does stop uh, Falconrath Aristocrat from doing its thing. It stops Blood Artist from being on the board if you are playing that version of the deck. Um, I think that it stops all of the green base like elf decks, like the, you know, Brad Nelson's hook deck, uh, the junk reanimator decks, those kinds of decks. They're very difficult to get through. And also there's a ton of Huntmasters floating around and um, while, again, it doesn't kill Huntmasters, if you're playing two or three of them in your deck, uh, I think your, your matchups are going to be a lot better. So that's that's one card that I'm going to try to wedge into Jund. I'm going to tr- probably cut the Rakdos returns because they I just feel like they always get counterspelled and they're not good when I want them to be. But I th- really think Curse is should be in that slot. So what do you guys think? Uh, I love it. Ali plays two main deck uh, in his in his five-color ramp deck. And he had them both in play on, you know, one camera match. And it's just like, how, how does... It was against Black Red. And it's just like, how does that deck do anything? It, all of its creatures right, <laughs> don't live. That's it. It's, so Curse of Death's Hold seems like uh, a very viable choice right now, in my opinion. You like it, Ruben? Um, I'm all right with it. I think it's a, it's, it is, again, it's, it's a million mana. Um, and against the decks that, that it was traditionally up against, you know, it, it just negates a intangible virtue, you know what I mean? Whereas I would like Golgari Charm a lot better in that one. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's, it's also just a thing that just sits on the board forever. I love one-sided, uh, effects like that, that are, that are, you know, just completely game-changing. Cha- Lingering Souls out of the control decks do nothing. Snapcaster Mages are, are now just uh, target spell against Flashback. It's a, it's a good choice. Yeah. So, my next choice, I am going to talk for a moment about Evil Twin. Now, hear me out. <laughs> Evil Twin is awesome. And here's why. Uh, let's assume that you're that like you have an okay handle on the aggro matchup, right? And you're more focused on trying to like break the parity between. All right, I play a Thragtusk, you play a Thragtusk. I played Angel Serenity, you played Angel Serenity. I played the Thragtusk that I got back. You play the, uh, and that just goes on forever. Mm-hmm. And, and we're both at forty on turn seventy-five, right? <laughs> We haven't finished one game, and we're going to turns. Yeah. Those kind of, of matchups. Here's what Evil Twin does in that matchup. Evil Twin can... can okay, so let's, let's start with the less impressive one. Evil Twin is a one-mana, cheaper Thrag Tusk that kills other Thrag Tusks. Right? Yeah. That's pretty good. That yeah. gains you five life for four mana. It kills your opponent's Thrag Tusks on attacks. It's pretty solid. 
Now, here's the more impressive one. It's a four-mana angel of serenity, right? So if your opponent plays the first angel of serenity, or even if you play one, and then your opponent plays their angel, you play your four-mana angel of serenity <laughs> that now just machine guns every other angel of serenity that comes into play. Right? Yeah. And, so you, and you can get them back if you discard them or they die with your own angels. Um, I think that, that Evil Twin is a real solid choice right now. Not to mention the fact that there are you know plenty of other enormous creatures that you want to be able to, you know, in, in a pinch, you want to be able to deal with. Like, you know, it, it knocks off a Draco Genius if it happens to hit play. Um, and so uh, it, it's another, it's a Thundermaw Hellkite that can keep other Thundermaw Hellkites off the board. So it's a solid, I think that Evil Twin... I'm actually a little surprised that it wasn't in uh, the sideboard of some of these reanimator decks. Because if there's well, one thing that I want to be able to do is just, like, reanimate an evil twin on a crater of behemoth or something. Well, you know who was on uh, evil twin in Baltimore in the sideboard was Shaheen Sarani. Nice. So, well, one in the board. And people are playing clone. The blue-white flash decks are playing clone to board right. in against, like, Thraktos de- de- decks and Angel Serenity decks. So I think you're right on for, for the use. I think uh, it's it's pretty realistic to think that that card will see a lot more play when we have the Water Grave in the format. Right. Um, making the splash off of a Farseek a much easier proposition because your only real way to get that right now is to just play a natural island. Right. And uh, Farseeking for that in your junk deck seems really bad. So, uh, you know, you'll have access to a breeding pool and... Um, you know, I, I I just think that once the mana's there, I totally agree with you, Ruben. I think that's exactly the kind of card that I want to be playing in this uh, in this standard. So, yeah, we saw um, how good Phantasmal Image could be in this one. Sure. Yeah. I it, well, and it's, it's this is no Phantasmal Image, but sure. it's you know no, but we were spoiled. Let's be other, honest. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Clones were way too good. Yeah, I mean, and they're still fine at four mana. I'm happy to play clone, especially oh, if the cards are. If the, I mean, look at the caliber of creatures. They're they're insane. I mean, you can't you can't get like Huntmasters, but it's nice to be able to get pretty much anything else from four up. E- even even just Legend rolling Olivia, I mean, just feels really good. Yeah, I got one that I wanted to jump in with. So there was a cute little Golgari aggro deck that got ninth place at this TCG player. I don't know if you saw this thing, um, but uh, it's mostly it's. Almost, mo- it's just mono green creatures, except for Lotless Troll, and then a couple of black elimination spells. It's pretty awesome. Arbor Elf, Lotless Troll, Predator Ooze, Strangle Root Geist, some Wolfears of various types, and some Garricks of various types, backed up by Rankers and Elimination Spells. But the card that excited me out of the sideboard was Silk Lash Spider. So this guy was playing three Silk Lash Spiders in the sideboard, and you're looking for a way to be able to deal with Lingering Souls. You're looking for a way to be able to deal with the Thundermaw Hellkite that you can tap out for. You're looking for a way, you know, to deal with uh, with Moreland Haunt tokens that have a Runechanter Spike on it. That's a nice one. I like I like Silk Lash Spider. Yeah, that's definitely a card that uh, that has been... Get, I've been hearing some rumblings about that card. Uh, I thought it was Reed Duke that initially was talking about it, but I... I just, you know, control F'd his article, and I don't... Oh, wait a minute. Right. Maybe, maybe it is here. Oh, and the other thing fine. the other thing is that this card just uh, it just stands in front of a Thragtusk. Yeah. Yeah, it's completely fine. Yeah, I mean, it, it does seem like a nice a nice answer to a lot of these these kind of big flyers that we're seeing. Um, and, yeah, like, black-red aggro specifically, or black-red zombies specifically... Could, it just kind of rolls over to a Silk Lash Spider if they can't answer it. Yeah. Yeah, I think you need to be able to get this guy out on turn turn four for him really to, to do his thing. But I do like, um, let's see, what do you call it? 2-7. Is, uh, is that a Kami of Old Stone? No, Kami of Old Stone is 1-8. Oh, 1-8. Jeez, yeah. I don't know what you call it, 2-7. Two two I guess you call it a Silk Lash Spider. <laughs> yeah, you call it a Silk Lash Spider. Nice. No, I, I like that. I mean, that, that's really good Eddie stats. George. Right? There, there's yeah. literally not a single creature aside from Grizzlebrand or Jacilla that actually kills this guy in combat naturally without having Rancor or some sort of double strike or something. Yeah. Uh, so I really like this guy a lot, for sure. Um, so Ruben, since you took the wheel, I'm going to take the other end back, and then we'll end on Joey. But uh, 
Joey, I hope I'm not stealing your thunder here, but um, this, there's a guy named Ross uh-huh. on Twitter, and uh, he's one of my favorite Twitter people. He's uh, at Bolt the Bird, <clears throat> and he's been playing a deck with Pack Rat for a long time. And I think we talked a few shows ago about how I got destroyed by a random guy who was running Pack Rat on Moto. And uh, Pack Rat is a really, really interesting card in that uh, I- I'm actually surprised that it hasn't gotten played in anything. Um, or had, hasn't really seen a good finish in anything because not only is it it's it's good with the reanimator decks because it acts as an outlet, being that you can discard anything that you want to it, but it's an army that can. I mean, it's very difficult aside from having a Wrath of God or a Bonfire to get the pack rats off the board, and um, I think that this is the perfect card for a deck like Jund to board in against slower decks that don't have an answer to a turn two play that they would be less likely to want to have like all their wraths and, 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 uh, and, you know, terminus and things like that. So I, I really think that this card is well positioned, especially if, if you're playing a deck that, uh, you know, relies on the graveyard. So, um, he's going to be sending me a list and I'm going to be streaming with it and kind of testing it out. And, you know, not treating it so much as a fringe card, but as, like, the cornerstone of this strategy. So I'm, I'm curious, like, do you guys think that Pack Rat has a place in, in Standard? Yeah, man. I, I parallelize him on that action. <laughs> I, I, think it's, I think it's definitely worth, uh, worth exploring. You've seen it dominate Limited, like, if anything. I mean, it's, it's worth I mean, kind of, I guess, just maybe just maybe work it in somehow play with it a bit and see how it feels, but I, I could totally see that card making uh, making some waves, I guess, in standard. Um, and, uh, and just a little side comment, I've been running into a lot of decks with chronic flooding lately, as far as graveyard <laughs> strategies mm-hmm. go. Yeah. And, um, that and so awesome. I just want to tell you, well, yeah, and there's a few decks that are running. There's a, there's a humans decks that tries to reanimate the uh, angel of whatever that brings all the humans back into play. Um, and then there's also like a seance version that wins with laboratory maniac and uh, mirror mad phantasm um, along with cards like think twice and Grizzlebrand. So in that, and that list is pretty interesting. So I think that now's a good a time as ever. Like, again, if you're playing something like Chapin's band deck that, uh, that really doesn't have a lot of, you know, room in the sideboard to do anything with. I think I would probably opt to build a list that uh, doesn't rely so much on flashback cards like Think Twice and Forbidden Alchemy so that I can have access to um, to Rest in Peace. Because I think Rest in Peace is really important against these decks. And um, and I think it's going to be important. Tormod's Crypt is also one that I've been running in the sideboard of my junk decks since you can't really play Rest in Peace. And, uh, and also Dried Mill Tint. So I, I definitely would recommend playing at least four cards that interact with the graveyard. You know, Purify the Grave is also a good option if you if you can't play that. Um, Ground Seal is really good. Um, you know, so... so But but you can't build a deck that doesn't have any uh, way to interact with graveyard. So if you look at all these top decks from the TCG Player event and the Star City event, you'll, you'll notice that they have between two to four ways to interact with the graveyard. But I'm seeing a lot of lists, including lists from pros that have no graveyard hate on there, and I think that's a mistake. Yeah, I I think that, uh, I think you're right on that, because I think there seems to be a lot of decks that are making use of the, the graveyard, and if you can take that out of the equation, you have a lot better uh, chance. Um, a card I wanted to talk about, and I uh, just last card for this little standard tech topic, I guess. Um, I, I mentioned earlier in the episode about these blue-white flash decks that are kind of splashing for Pillar of Flame. Uh, this weekend in Baltimore, Andrew Davis made top eight uh, with kind of classic blue-white flash, did not go with the, the Pillar of Flame plan. Uh, but in the board, he has two copies of Righteous Blow, and that's a card that I've been seeing you know pop up in a couple of articles as well. It, it's the White Shock for attacking or blocking creatures. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, we asked Andrew on Saturday, like how it was. And he, he said he loves it. He wish he had more, uh, being able to just have an access to like access to a white shock against a lot of these aggro decks that are, that are showing up apparently is 
it was was very good, and I think that's one that's really going to pop up a lot more because white is well, blue white in general is one of the I think key card combinations in in standard, obviously. So having access to a removal spell without uh, having to splash, I think, is just excellent. Yeah, that's uh, I, I got I got destroyed by that card the other day. I'm one of my hunt masters. Thought I was attacking into my opponent, and I thought that I had the game locked up. All I had to do was just pass the turn, let him flip, and uh, he just got me. He got me good. So, yeah, that card's that card's very good. You should you should almost come to expect cards like that in Faith Shield. Um, yeah. If your opponent has one white mana up, that's like the most scary mana that these green-white aggro decks can have up. Not white-green, just white. Because it's just <laughs> enough to be able to play both of those cards. And, um, you know, Faith Shield... Gosh, uh, I think it was Sam Black who said that Faith Shield is, uh, Sensei's Divining Top used to be his favorite card, and now it's Faith Shield. And I'm kind of on that train. I'm not playing blue-white or or I'm uh, white-green aggro or these, you know, human decks, but every time that card's resolved against me, I just face palm. I'm just like, ugh. But yeah, (laughs) I I agree with you. I think that that that's a really good good piece of tech. So I'm going to take us into a new topic here. Um, we mentioned that we were going to talk about hashtag trigger troubles, and this is actually exactly what Owen Turkmold's last article was. And uh, we've seen some chatter in the community, of course, over the last few months since they announced the new trigger changes. But uh, certainly in the last week or two, we've seen a lot of talk on Twitter. And then, of course, the article by Owen that was posted on Channel Fireball a couple days ago, or actually on uh, December 2nd. And basically... In a nutshell, there was a, his one of his opponents um, from uh, Grand Prix San Antonio posted a scenario that happened at a tournament. And what um, what what had happened is that Owen had attacked, or his opponent had attacked the Pirate Heart Wolf in an Ash Zealot. And you know there was a there was a undetermined amount of time between uh, when blockers were declared and when he had declared his attack. But uh, in Owen's words, he said it was about thirty seconds. He admits that that was probably hyperbole. And didn't really help his case that much, but he said that there was a distinct amount of time. Anyway, long story short, um, he you know he goes to make blocks. His opponent says you can't do that. He calls a judge. The judge says yeah, he can go back, even though the the trigger from the Pyroheart Wolf wasn't announced. Uh, Owen appealed, and uh, and Lems, which is I think he's a level five, came back and said yes, um, you have to announce your Pyroheart Wolf trigger. And so Owen was allowed to block and then ultimately was able to win the game. And um, so the, the article goes on to kind of explain, like, Owen's logic and why it's sort of like a bad rule. Um, mostly because, you know, he, he mentions situations where he, he basically, you know, under the old rules had to help his opponent win the game. Be like, hey, you forgot to put your counter on your Shredder Murdering Rage or your Shriner Loyal Legions. And instead of it being at five counters, it's at 13 counters and he loses the game because of it. And so... Uh, the the situation that's sort of like the gray area is uh, he was talking about Dark Confidant and a Dark Confidant trigger being a beneficial or a negative trigger. And um, they've ruled it as being a beneficial trigger. And it's sort of like just this, this huge like gray area around the, the rules changes. I think it was poorly communicated. And uh, and now we're kind of starting to see people say, look, this isn't fun. Like this isn't this isn't how magic is supposed to be played. And we don't like playing it like this. So, have you, have you guys like been reading up on this? Have you seen much chatter about it? Uh, a little bit, um, but I, I definitely have thought about it quite a bit because over the years we've seen the rules change and the way they even word cards change. Uh, you, you used to have a lot of cards, even just a few years ago, where it's like, if this happens, you may do this, or yeah. other cards that'll say, if this happens, do this. So it's a you know matter of a may or a must kind of thing. And you had a lot of uh, complaining from especially the, the more more competitive crowd that saying, I don't want to have to help my opponent to win the game. I don't want to have to remind him to do something that's beneficial to him. If he forgot to do it, then that's and, and it benefits him, then that's his fault. Uh, but I, I think and I think that's valid and that does feel frustrating. But I, it did feel like for a long time things were pretty well uh, handled by just having if this, then you may, or or not. You know, put put the may trigger there, and that way, if they miss it, it's missed. It, it's a it's a may trigger. If you, you didn't do it, you didn't do it. Um, because I think where the situation we're in now presently seems very 
confusing and frustrating to a lot of players uh, just for the situation you said. You know, when I attack, I want my I, I'm attacking. When this guy attacks, this is what happens. Uh, do I, I guess, do I really have to say every little thing? I mean, the, the silly one to me is the whole Jace's, uh, Jace architect of thoughts plus one, where you're like saying, when, when my opponent's creatures attack, they get minus one, minus zero. Um, and they attack, and you have to remind them that their creatures get minus one, minus zero. It just, I, I guess, it just feels wrong to me. Um, Whatever the, the situation we're in right now just feels very wrong, and I think just go back to the way it was because that just seemed much better. So, I, I just yeah. sorry, Ruben. I just have one quick comment, and Ruben, maybe you can talk to this a little bit. I just think it's weird that you go from a situation where you have Shrine of Loyal, you know, Shrine of Burning Rage, and your opponent casts a red spell, and they neglect to put their counter on the the card, and you don't remind them, and you go to your turn. If you did that under the old rules, you'd be cheating. And so I don't like that, you know, you have this this whole culture, you know, that's been built throughout the years on a rule set that looked at missing these kinds of triggers and, like, knowingly allowing your opponent to miss them to be cheating. And now it's just like, it's not just not cheating, it's practically encouraged. So, I mean, am I, am I wrong? Am I, am I misinterpreting it? No, you're right. That's exactly right. The problem is that not every trigger is strictly beneficial or non-beneficial. The Dark Confidant examples are probably the most common one. Is that you know, in some cases, that's a good thing, and in some cases, it's a very bad thing. You know, even if you're at a high life total, it's theoretically possible you have a high casting cost spell in your deck. You know, I remember people would play Tombstalkers and th- and Hit Run in the same deck as Dark Confidant. So it's not always necessarily strictly beneficial. You know what I mean? So, you know, it, it, the, the main point here that I think is we've got, uh, as I'm looking at the article right now, there's 81 comments on this Owen Certain World article. There's also a Reddit thread that goes even deeper. I would not suggest reading that because it's, it goes a little, uh, uh, shall we say, unsavory. Um, but I think that, uh, that, that the most important thing here is for people listening to this podcast, people out there who are involved in the community, when you decide what you want your opinion to be on this, let it be known to the community and to the people who make the rules and are relevant um, and who have a chance to change it. If you know, And if enough people agree with you, then that means that the will of the people is for this to be the policy. And Wizards is very good, uh, the DCI specifically, is very good at listening to what the players want and doing that. Because if enough people disagree with this, or enough people agree with it, then and that's just what it's going to be. Not everybody's going to be happy with the final result, no matter what it is. So, you know, I, I don't think that they're... Like, Wizards has made a decision that, that we're not going back to this A nonsense. There's, we're not going back to May triggers. Like, that's just not going to happen. We've already come... We've already crossed that bridge. Um, and so, where we go from here is largely on the community, largely up to the judge community and the player community, to see what people want. And so, you know, I don't have a strong opinion one way or another, so long as we agree, and so long as there isn't a huge amount of feeling bad as a result. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it feels to me, like, I guess, I try to compare it to... To some other other games. So say you're you're playing Final Fantasy or something, and you've got a weapon that whenever you uh, you hit with it, it, it hits twice. Well, you don't have to tell it to hit twice. Like it does it. You know you know what I mean. You don't you don't. I, I don't like the fact that you know you're playing these cards. I play Thrag Tusk not because he's a five three, but because he gains life and is a five three and leaves a beast. He's in my deck. I'm playing the card because I want the effects. I don't want to have to go. Oh yes, I do want this effect. I, it should just happen. I I don't. I, the card should do what the cards do. And if there's a card that has multiple modes, obviously you have to make decisions. But you know, when I play a Thrag Tusk, I expect it to gain me five life before the game's even played. Don't, should I announce that to my opponents? Hey, just now, just so you know, when I play Thrag Tusk, five life. When he dies, beast. I'm just telling you now. Like it seems ridiculous to have to actually state it because I'm putting it in my deck because it does this. 
So I have a strong opinion about it. <laughs> on the one hand, that makes sense. But on the other hand, you know, I don't want to just be sitting at a table playing magic against myself. You know what I mean? Like, I don't want to, you know, my opponent is just new to the game or just, you know, very scatterbrained and doesn't see anything. Like, plays their cards and just doesn't remember anything. I don't want to have to be like, ah, oh, that can't see wife. Uh, that makes a guy. Uh, you draw a card here. And then beat myself with my opponent's cards. You know, remembering what your own cards do, sadly, is a skill, apparently, that <laughs> some people just are not equipped with. And so on the one hand, I'm, I, I want that to, to continue. That, that, you know, uh, the fact that I am able to remember what my own deck does should be rewarded. Or the fact that I'm able to handle pressure or, uh, you know, know, know what my opponent's cards do that could benefit me. On the, you know, the, and, but I, I get the other side. I get the other side of the table being like, well, if I forget what my cards do, I don't want to be punished because I'm a dummy. I want to still play Magic, you know what I mean? And I don't want to get rules lawyered out of the game because I forgot a Pyreheart Wolf trigger on my attacks. Yeah. Or something like that. So, you know, it's, it's a little bit of a, I mean, it's a very controversial issue. It's a can of worms that needed to be opened. Mm-hmm. And I'm glad we're having this conversation. And I really want to hear what people out there have to say about this. I'm, I'm constantly on Twitter and on, uh, on Owen's uh, comments and uh, even on the Reddit page, even though it's, you know, dreck. But, um, <laughs> you know, if you have comments, leave them here because I, I'm completely okay with, uh, with having this conversation here as well because I, I just want to know. I want to have a pulse of what the community thinks. But, uh, you know, to me personally... If I'm playing chess and my opponent accidentally leaves his queen open, I don't want to have to be like, uh, you accidentally left your queen open. Go ahead and take it back. Yeah, but that's a different thing. <laughs> that's a, that's a, I don't think that's a great comparison. That Look, could... it's, all, it's all shades of gray. P- possibly. Don't say 50, but uh, wait. I didn't say 50. You did. That was your <laughs> fault, and now I hate you. No, but uh, I think there has been kind of a concerted effort by Wizards over the past few years, especially since the M10 rules change, to simplify the game, to make things a lot cleaner. You know, you want to clean things up. You don't want these uh, tons of shades of gray. And I think one way to do that is make the cards do what the cards do. Just say, this is what happens. If he, Oh, he forgot his beast? He should have a beast. There it is. You know, from the Thrag Tusk. Or, oh, you, he forgot to gain five life? That's what the card does. You should have five more life. If, you know, the game ends and it's like, uh, you know, you're signing the results, slipping one, oh, slip and go, oh, wait, I shouldn't have lost this game because my Thrag Tusk gained five life. Or gained, gained five life. Uh, then you lose. You know, that, that's, that's too late. But when it's still, you're still in game, it's, I, I don't know. I, I'm sure that there's, Lots of shades of gray there, too, but I feel like um, they should, in this effort to simplify things, make the cards do what they do. I feel like for since M10, up until these new trigger rules, there were not this many problems, and it's only gotten, this has made things very, very shady of gray that didn't make sense. But Yeah, I think as you, how, as you how, scale how anything, as you... <laughs> I mean, as you scale anything, I don't care if it's a computer program, a restaurant, or whatever. As you introduce more people to what it, you know, whatever it is you're selling or doing, you're going to have more opinions. You're going to have, you're going to see more interactions. You're going to see more gaps in your processes. I mean, this is just something that I think, as a result of, you know, increased increased numbers in tournament attendance and uh, you know, magic in general just increasing. I think that they're trying to do things that make the rules easier. I don't know that for us it makes as much sense, but again, their context is a little different than ours. So, you know, I, I think that there's good progress being made to take a deeper look at these rules, especially when you have some of the more high-profile pros making suggestions and comments on it. Um, so I'm confident that, you know, within the next couple of years we'll have the, the kinks worked out. I know that's not ideal, but these aren't like, you know, life-changing rules rules here. You know, this isn't like mana burn or uh, removal of damage on the stack. These are smaller in the, in the, in that sense, I think. Sure. I have just one quick thing to add, which is the way that I typically handle this is when I'm playing against somebody and they've got a blood artist and they miss their trigger, I'm like, hey, bud, you missed your blood artist trigger. I'm not going to remind you next time. Yeah. Right? 
Like, I think that's, that that's fair. Everybody gets one, you know. Um, and then if, some, if it's something like, you know, like somebody reanimates their crater hoof behemoth and then immediately swings with it without announcing the crater hoof behemoth trigger, like, come on, man. Like, <laughs> let, that, let that kind of stuff happen. Because to, to just rules lawyer people out of the game is not within, is not going to bring more people back to play Magic. And that's ruining, actively ruining the game for everyone. Right, it, so just don't don't rules lawyer people out of the game when it's when it's sort of like you know miss trigger kind of stuff where they don't put their counter on their thing, you know remind them once, and then if they miss it some more, you know what that's on them because you you, you gave them a chance. But big yeah, stuff, I, just I think remember is kind of foolish. Just remember, there's a big difference between day two at a Grand Prix and uh, in your F and M or you know or GPT or something. You know, in general, I I think that uh, these will get worked out, but. I know that we're, we're running short on time, so I'm going to close this out here. Um, we have uh, a, a couple more in contention episodes before the end of the year, but then uh, we will be taking a short break over Christmas. But uh, lucky for you guys, we are going to record an episode. It may not fit our target demographic, um, but it may, be, it may be fun for you to, to listen to. What we're going to do is um, there's a lot of people that are coming back into the game. Either they've played Duels of the Planeswalkers or Magic Online or, or even a friend, uh, you know, had them pick it back up at work. And uh, these people want to start playing tournament Magic again. So we get emails all the time, Facebook messages from people saying, hey, look, I, you know, I haven't, I haven't played since Zendikar. You know, what are the sets that are out? What, you know, where should I be looking? And so this, this is going to be sort of a supplemental episode. And the three of us are going to take uh, – we're going we're gonna to tell you about all the different formats that are available um, you know, where you can, uh, where you can go to play either online or, or in real life. We're going to get into some terminology and some other things. So if you know people that are new to the game, uh, keep, keep an eye out for the, the episode. It should be posted the week of Christmas. Be sure to, to point them in that direction. Cause I think, uh, we'll be send having... us questions too. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. If you have new players or, or even if you're a new player yourself and you're just checking out the podcast for the first time, leave us a comment. Uh, you know, make sure you say, Hey, I, I want to know about, you know, whatever, and we'll make sure to cover that in that show. And then also, um, probably the week before, uh, which would be two two weeks from now, we're going to do a special Christmas episode, and we're going to do a gift gift exchange on the show. So that should be a lot of fun. But um, I don't really have anything else to add for this episode. Oh, actually, I have one more thing to add. Sorry. Um, on December fifteenth in Columbus, Ohio, there's going to be a Star City Games IQ at Comic Town. And it's going to have a $1,000 prize pool. So if you're in Columbus, I will be there for sure. And I uh, think maybe I might um, might actually play in this one. So um, you should come up to Comic Town and check it out. should be a good time. December 15th. What, and, uh, what uh, you guys got anything else? Any? What's that? What format? I think it's standard. Okay. Are you going to use the cranny tokens? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I'll have, I'll have them in full <laughs> supply. Excellent. So... So, uh, yes. uh, Ruben, did you have anything you wanted to add? Nope, that's it. I'll see you all out west. Awesome. Uh, I just want to add for all of you who think there's something wrong with Standard, stop bitching, start brewing. Yeah, old school style. Oh, yeah. I like it. <laughs> Bring that back. <laughs> nice. All right. Joey, see us out. All right. So until next time, we are not Yo MTG Taps. <laughs> 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 we are in contention. <laughs>